My name is Dool McLaren. I am the reference coordinator here at the library at Southeastern and I uh, kind of head up these library talks. Uh, the library talks are really designed to uh, connect with students who desire to enter the academic life and kind of peel back the cur curtains um, and give them a chance to, to hear from professors about what that life looks like uh, to a certain extent. And so today uh, we're mainly focusing on why study biblical languages, but we're also going to talk about uh, what that looks like, what are some best practices as you study languages, and then what that'll look like after seminary, and some possibilities for uh, what, how you can use languages in the future. So uh, we want to thank you for coming and being a part of this talk. Uh, let me introduce our panelists here. Um, first we have Dr. Beck, who is, um, I'm going to have to check my notes, sorry about that. We'll try and do it from memory. Uh, he's professor of New Testament Greek and associate dean of biblical studies here at Southeastern. Uh, we have Dr. Merkel in the center. Uh, he's professor of New Testament and Greek. And we also have Dr. McKenzie, uh, who's associate professor of Hebrew and Old Testament. And so, uh, gentlemen, thank you for spending an hour with us today to talk about biblical languages. Um, so we'll go ahead and get started with why is it important to study biblical languages? And we'll start with uh, Dr. Beck. We'll start with you on the end. To study biblical languages, Would either of you have anything to add? Well, yeah, I mean, it's the whole idea that you really don't want to be a second-hander when it comes to God's Word. You don't want to be relying on what somebody else says. You don't want to have to rely on uh, maybe it's the commentary that happens to be in your library. Maybe it's the uh, commenta commentator that you heard somebody else quote. <coughs> you don't want to resort to you know, relying on somebody else and being a second-hander. So what we want to do is be able to open God's word and see for ourselves what the real issues are and <clears throat> to be able to come to those decisions on our own. Well, and I would just reiterate what they've said uh, just again so that we hear it. Really, you study the biblical languages to understand the intention of the author. Uh, I think, you know, just speaking in particular of the Old Testament, um, you know, the, the biblical authors, they connect these words and phrases, you know, throughout these different books, in the books, outside of the books, they connect these things together via words and via syntax and things like that. And sometimes the English translation, actually often the English translation may or may not pick up on that. Uh, so it's very important uh, to, uh, to, to read these in the original language. I was also gonna say, you know, I was, um, this really gets to the next point about uh, the tools and translations, but I remember being over in Italy a few years ago talking with a uh, pastor there, an Italian pastor there, and we were trying to communicate, and I didn't know any Italian. He didn't know any, um, he didn't know any English, and so we tried Google Translate. So he would type something in in Italian, and it would, he would expect it to spit out 
some kind of English, it just made no sense. So, you know, although we have some great tools uh, to study the languages, uh, ultimately they don't yield the sort of kind of first-hand knowledge, if you will, that the study of the biblical languages uh, really does. Okay, and what would that first-hand knowledge of biblical languages do for someone? Yeah, obviously for biblical study students, we can kind of see the... Uh, the importance of biblical languages for what we want to do, but what about for missionaries, um, counselors, and pastors? How important is that for them and their uh, professions that they've sought to go into? Well, you know, I mean, just, you know, for starters, you know, I mean, my brother is a house builder, and, um, you know, he knows from the codes, the permits, and his own practice that the most important thing for him in the house is actually not even what you see. It's the foundation. It's the foundation that the the local governments, you know, have permitted, you know, completely, you know, and you've got to over-engineer this thing so that the foundation can withstand the weight and so on and so forth. So the most careful and expensive, um, you know, engineering and planning and work goes into the foundation, something you never even see. So I think, you know, for most of the students here, at least who are younger, you know, they might have 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, if God gives them that long, for ministry. Well, you ought to do something about the foundation of your ministry, which is, you know, we've already said, you know, it's the biblical languages. To, to maybe take that illustration a little different direction, uh, because sometimes you say, well, we have so many tools, we don't need to study the languages we can just, uh, you know, open up our computer program. We can punch in a few things, and it'll give us the results. Well, uh, a friend of mine's a carpenter. You know what? I have the same tools that he has. I have the exact same tape measure. I have the same square. I have almost the same hammer. Mine's yellow. His is red. But it's the same brand. Now, in his hands, those tools are a lot more effective and efficient. If he starts hitting and banging on something, he's going to know what he's doing. He's going to know how to use those tools because he's had practice. He spent time. He knows the house. He knows all about it. He knows what's on the other side of a wall. And so when I start remodeling my house, I don't do it without him. I call him up. I say, hey, Richard, come on over because I have the same tools, but I don't know how to use them. And so just because you have the tools, it doesn't mean you know how to use them. You know, information is out there. Why come to seminary? All the information in seminary is out there. But we come to seminary because we're being trained how to use the tools effectively. And so it's, it's crucial that we, we not just learn about them. You can learn about a hammer, what it does. You can learn about a tape measure, what all the little marks are, and how to use a square. But if you don't know how to use them effectively and efficiently and accurately, then you're really not going to get anywhere. And since we've kind of running with this carpenter uh, <laughs> analogy, let me take it a step further and suggest that Jesus was it. Oh, oh, no. oh okay. <laughs> Excellent point. Uh, no, actually, I was going to refer to Richard. Okay. Uh, Richard may be the carpenter and the general contractor, uh, but there's a difference between whether or not when Richard comes, he tells Dr. Merkel, now you stand over there and watch because I can't even trust you with your yellow hammer. Or whether he's able to say to Dr. Merkel, because you have some familiarity with the tools, as long as you're uh, under the supervision of someone who's a real expert, 
then you can actually participate in the project. And I think for us to try to use our computer language tools without ever having studied the languages uh, is like not even knowing the difference between the hammer and the saw, and yet trying to get some kind of benefit and results from it. And we need to at least get, gain enough familiarity that we are, are competent to evaluate the discussions, that we have an identification and a parsing, and we, we know what that means. We know what the significance of a voice or a mood or a tense is. And we, we talked about, um, I think the question you asked about, what about pastors and missionaries? Well, you'll be surprised if you go, you go uh, overseas and you go, you're in an Islamic co context and you're talking to somebody, they're going to want to see if you know the original language because oftentimes they've studied the original language. For their for their for their holy book, and so uh, you know I've been in contexts where it actually was important that I knew the original language, and so um, you know God has given His word to us in Hebrew and in Greek. You know my my brother-in-law. <clears throat> I like to use stories to illustrate things. My brother-in-law is uh, married to someone from Honduras. Well, he was set up by a mutual friend. When he, met, when he met her, he didn't know a lick of Spanish. But you know what he did after he had the first introduction? He said, you know what? I don't want to talk to her through a translator. I don't want to communicate to her through somebody else. And so he taught himself Spanish. And eventually he married her. So that he could communicate to her directly. And God has given us his word. And we can learn that direct communication. We don't have to go through a translator. Do you have anything you want to add? Not on that particular question. Okay. No. All right. Well, that that will be a good transition into our next question. <clears throat> Is that uh, intimacy that we'll, we uh, gain uh, with God through uh, learning the languages? Would you guys like to talk a little bit about how learning languages has has benefited you in your uh, spiritual walk with Christ, or as how Christ uh, shapes you? Uh, through his word, how that has benefited you. Any one of you can jump in. Yeah. Anytime that we get a better understanding of the original authorial intent of any biblical text, and in the biblical text, when we talk about authorial intent, we're talking about the human authors God used, but ultimately we're talking about God himself. And so anytime in God's word, when you encounter God and you get a deeper understanding of what he said, that's going to impact your walk with him, your intimacy, your, your growth. It also, um, in our responsibilities, uh, every one of us here have not only been seminary professors, but we've been in local church ministry where we are teaching and preaching the word of God to the people of God. And that's a great responsibility. And we want to do it accurately or right. A recent example, uh, the last opportunity I had to preach uh, a few weeks back, I preached on the Lord's Prayer. Now, we all know the Lord's Prayer. We can all recite it. We learn to do that at some point in our Christian walk. But even the way we recite it in English hides some things that when you discover them in the Greek just make a profound impact. Uh, we say, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, as if that's all kind of introductory material. And then we get to the meat of the prayer. Uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. But when you examine that in the Greek text, there's a deliberate structural parallel between hallowed be 
thy name and thy kingdom come. But we don't translate it that way in English. So as I was preaching this text, I actually told them that a, that a better rendering of this to help you understand how this was originally constructed is hallowed be thy name, coming be thy kingdom, accomplished be thy will. And just having those three lined up parallel like that just makes me stand back and, and think about what the text is really saying and gives me, I think, a greater insight into what Jesus was modeling for me in that prayer, a full acquiescence to the will of God. None of these things are in doubt. The question is, will I fully submit and surrender and participate in God's activity in those three things? And I, I think... First and foremost, with that, um, you know, there has to be a, a, a personal impact. We're, we're not we're we're not just reading a novel, reading God's word, and it, it should impact us. You know, I, I don't know if you're familiar with A.T. Robertson. He wrote a, a Greek grammar. It's about six inches thick. It's almost 1,500 pages, and and maybe he's not he wasn't quite normal. Um, you know, <laughs> you, you wonder about these guys who write Greek grammars. But, but he, he said that studying Greek grammar is a means of grace. And I, I, wonder if, I wonder if my students feel that way sometimes. But just to be able to get in and see the riches of, of that. He also said that uh, it's a, uh, studying Greek grammar is a gold mine for his soul and for the sermon. And there's just riches there and... Um, we want to just slow down and, and that's what studying the original language as well it does for us it helps us to slow down and to look and to see and sometimes we even have to parse what, what am I looking at oh yeah oh I see and then we slow down and we see connections we wouldn't have seen elsewhere you know um, pointing in case here I, I was reading this morning uh, I didn't want to be a hypocrite and come and, and you know say Greek is important no, you try to do that every morning um but I, I was reading in Luke 16, and you know the parable of the dishonest manager, right? It starts off, there was, a, there was a rich man, and Jesus tells this parable. Well, there's also another story about the rich man and Lazarus. And sometimes people are, are wondering, is that really a parable? And some people said, no, it's not a parable. As if, if it were a parable, that would be a lower thing. It's not as, your view of Scripture is not as high, because you're, view, you're viewing that as a mere parable. That's what... Actually, John Wesley said, he called it a mere parable. But if you look at the first four words of each of those, which I did this morning, I saw, you know, they, they both begin with the exact same four words. There was a certain rich man. And so looking at that parallelism, I could see that if the first one was a parable about a rich man who had a manager who was dishonest, then the second one probably is a parable as well. And that's what Luke is trying to communicate to me. What do you think? Uh, that, sounds, that sounds accurate to me. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I'm just sitting here, you know, I mean, uh, you know, time does not allow all the ways that uh, um, reading in the biblical languages has uh, helped my spiritual life. I think I, I, I really resonate with this idea of that the biblical languages cause us to slow down. And I see things uh, when I, in particular in Greek, when I'm reading the Greek New Testament, I see things that for whatever reason in English, I mean, the English translation is great, but I just gloss right over. 
and the Greek forces me to uh, slow down um, in that manner. Uh, the Hebrew is a little bit different. It does force you to slow down as well, but um, there are different ways that the authors depend on the words and syntax to make meaning. But it's still, it's, it's, it's amazing how many times, I mean, I, I love to teach the Old Testament here, and the reason why is because I, every year I read through these Hebrew texts, and every year it's like, oh my goodness, this is just amazing. I remember one time when I was teaching a Theology of the Prophets over in the Czech Republic, and I had lots of time, and I was teaching Theology of the Prophets, so I thought, oh, let me just read, read through the Prophets, you know, as many as I could this afternoon. So I'm reading the uh, last, you know, uh, 16 or so chapters of Ezekiel right there. And all of, you know, reading the original language, just all of these new insights about God and his kingdom and the salvation and the spirit and, you know, pneumatology and soteriology and eschatology. They all just start coming, you know, coming to me based on, you know, really what Ezekiel's trying to say. And, and you know, I'd read Ezekiel before, I'd read the original text before, but it's just so rich, so rich. If I could add one more thing, not only for personal devotion, but also for your teaching and preaching, this is important. It gives you confidence that because you're not a second-hander, you're not just relying on what other people say, and uh, it allows you to, to know what to focus on, to, to know where actually there is debate and where there's not debate. Um, I, I read of um, Earl Ellis who taught at Southwestern and somebody confided in him, a pastor, a local pastor confided in him that uh, he did not use his Greek. And then Ellis said, uh, after hearing him preach, it was obvious that he was correct. <laughs> he, what, he, he didn't use his Greek. So hopefully the, the Greek, knowing Greek and knowing Hebrew gives us confidence in our preaching. I got to tell one more story, you know, that uh, Dr. Merkel reminded me of, you know, before I came to seminary, I was in ministry. I was in college ministry, and uh, I had some training and different things, and they'd, they'd allowed me to start teaching on, on this particular our large group night. And I can just really remember struggling with my sermons. And the reason was is I did not have confidence in what was behind these pesky English prepositions and what did they have to do with the verb and the noun and so on and so forth. So, you know, that's part of how I got to seminary. Actually, that's most of how I got to seminary, is I wanted to learn the biblical languages. I thought that's why everybody came to seminary. It wasn't until I got here I figured out, no, I was actually somewhat unique. I remember this was uh, 15 years ago. I walked onto the campus over here in the summer, and I went to this little playground that used to be here behind Wake Forest Baptist Church, and there was, uh, I took my kids there. There was another student there. He was playing with his kids, and this was the summer, and I was taking a, a course. It wasn't the biblical languages, but uh, I was taking a course, and I asked the student, uh, you know, so, hey, you know, what are you doing? You know, what, what are you taking? He's like, oh, you know, I'm in the advanced biblical languages track. I'm like, so am I, you know, that's so awesome, you know. I mean, you must be here for the biblical languages. And he's, he's like, yeah, I'm in Hebrew right now. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I can't wait to get in Hebrew. I can't wait, you know, I love it, and so on and so forth. And he's like, I, I, I can't wait to get done with it. I'll never touch it again. <clears throat> I was like, what? And that, that was, that was, that that was huge, and that was one of the things that the Lord used to uh, cause, cause me to think, wow, we need some more teaching and training on the biblical languages, and that's one of the reasons why I did the PhD, is because, you know, he obviously, you know, didn't quite understand the need for the biblical languages, and he was in the biblical languages track, so. 
one thing I'd like to interject here is that um, I'm not sure this group sitting in front of us <laughs> is a representative of uh, all of our students because you're the ones who cared enough to show up today to hear us talk about the importance of biblical languages. I'm going to guess we're preaching to the choir. Amen. You wouldn't be here if you didn't already believe in the importance of biblical languages. Um, but we believe they're important for everyone who's not here. We believe they're important for all of our students. And what we do not want to convey is that unless you gain the level of competency that we have gained and had the level of formal academic instruction that we have had, that then you can't make use of them. Because the majority of our students will never, will never have that opportunity. But rather what I strive to do is to demonstrate, even in my students who are taking two semesters of Greek, which if they're honest, and I verbally acknowledge this, they are there primarily because it's a requirement for graduation for the degree track they're in, rather than already being committed to the importance of the language. My goal is that by the end of the second semester, if they never have another formal course in Greek, they will have come to see, number one, not only that Greek matters, but also that they can use what they have gained throughout the rest of their lives, throughout the rest of their ministry. They do not have to put it away because they haven't yet gained enough to make any use of it. Because I believe that, that even with that minimal level of instruction, which is not our goal, our goal in that class is to convince everybody they need to take more. But recognizing that many won't, I want them to realize that, that after a year of Greek, every time you open up your Greek, your English Bible, to prepare a lesson or to do your devotions from the New Testament, you can open up your Greek side by side. And if you know the right resources and have them available to you, whether they be on computer or whether they be uh, hardbound in your, on your bookshelves, that you can utilize them and you can now make sense of the, of the discussions, of the issues that are raised, of the nuances that are, that are being discussed. So there's never really an excuse for putting it away, never to come back to it again. All right, just, just so we can get an idea, how many of you have had at least one biblical language course? Or, okay, so not everyone. Yeah, it'll count if you're in one now. Okay, so um, how many of you are currently in first-year lang biblical language courses? Okay, so that's good. Um, so we talked about level of proficiency. If you could go back to your first-year grammar self, you know, when you were taking Greek or Hebrew, what advice or warning, warnings would you give to uh, yourself back then that might benefit these students who are in their first year of uh, biblical language study? I'll start. Uh, obviously, for me, I have to think back further than the rest <laughs> of these gentlemen. But I remember it well. I would, went to a seminary where my, my only formal training in Greek grammar was one four-week January course, which was completely inadequate. Um, I, I learned some Greek, learned some vocabulary, and learned how to use the Greek tools and did very well in the, in the class because that was its goal and intention. And then, I have to confess, got busy as a full-time pastor and to a large extent laid it aside um, for the sake of time. Uh, that's not an adequate excuse, but that was an excuse that I, I made to myself. And then when God called me out of full-time pastoral ministry to pursue PhD studies uh, at Duke University, 
the New Testament studies in, in, at the PhD level were based on the Greek text. So I had to get back up to speed real fast. And so I was doing that and I was working at it and everything was fine. But then when I did my PhD work, I didn't have an entrance exam. I didn't have to prove my Greek competency to get into the program. I had to prove it to get out of the program. I had a PhD level Greek uh, test that I had to, uh, that I had to pass to, to complete my PhD studies. And I was privileged to take it twice. Okay, you, you understand that. Because you have to pass it at least once. Uh, and the first time through, uh, I, I'll never forget my professor's uh, formal letter telling me the results of that exam. Uh, he, said, uh, he said your translations, see we had five random passages to translate and we also had uh, to do some syntactical diagramming and we had to uh, we had to parse the words that were underlined and I'll never forget what he said he was a very gracious man he said your translations were adequate that's not glowing but it's a you know that's like a C minus pass right adequate and he said amazingly your grasp of syntax far outweighs your knowledge of inflection let me translate that for you it means you can diagram a sentence well but you can't parse your way out of a wet paper bag so I had to sit down at that point in my studies and for the first time in my life actually memorize paradigms that I was not forced to memorize in my first year of instruction. Memorize your paradigms. All right, that's foundational and you need to have that behind you and learn vocabulary. Now I've had first year Greek students argue with me, well, do you not know that memorization is the lowest form of learning? My response is you got to start somewhere. All right, there's no... Memorization doesn't come easy to everyone, and memorization can be time-consuming, but it is absolutely necessary. So the advice I wish someone had give, given me was memorize those paradigms so that you can actually begin to, to use the uh, paradigms to identify the forms you're looking at, and then you can begin to go from there. And I would add to that, I would say, in one sense, you have to prepare for the work. It is work. It's not easy. It's never, if you learn the easiest language in the world and you don't know it yet, it's hard. Um, it doesn't matter what language it is. You say, that's an easy language. It's not like Chinese, Mandarin. Well, it doesn't matter. If it's a new language, it's hard. Vocabulary, whatever, the grammar, syntax, it's difficult. Let me tell you a story. John Brown, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, he's a pastor theologian in the 1700s. His father died when he was 11. His mother died shortly thereafter. He was converted at the age of 12. He worked for a, a, an elder at his church who was, uh, he, was he basically became a shepherd. And uh, not in a church, but with sheep. Uh, he took, he took at the, starting at the age of 12, he taught himself Latin. Okay? Then after he, he mastered Latin, or at least learned Latin, he decided to teach himself Greek because the New Testament was written in Greek. Well, he didn't have a Greek grammar, so you know what he did? He got out the Latin, he got out the English, and he got out the and, he, and, and then he got out the Greek and he tried to work his way through to figure out the language. 
at the time, he didn't even own a, a, a Greek New Testament. You know what he had to do? At the age of 16, he walked 24 miles one way to go buy a Greek New Testament. And he got it. He actually didn't have to buy it because he, he won it. Because when he got into the, to the store, uh, this story is recounted by A.T. Robertson. We got into the bookstore. Some professors came in. This is in St. Andrews, Scotland. And they're like, oh, you, you know, this little, little lad wants to, wants to get a, a Greek New Testament. Yeah, well, if he can read it, I'll give it to him. Well, then he started reading it. And <laughs> so uh, he walked home with his free New Testament. He became a, a well-known pastor and theologian for the next 30 years. It is hard work. But you don't have to teach yourself. Praise God. There are people who know the language. There are grammar books you can buy. And we try to make the class as easy as possible. I, I know I, I do. I, I come up with songs you sing. I come up with stories that you learn to memorize paradigms. Nobody wants to have, you know, use rote memory to memorize these things. And so stories help. You have to, to memorize vocabulary. You have to come up with ways to link the knowledge to things you already know. But it's possible. And again, for, for a lifetime of ministry, aid and help, man, it would be, you ever been on a trip and forgot something? You're like, man, I wish I would have had that. If I would just, or even if you didn't, you're like, I don't want to go back and get it, my coat, I'm going on a camping trip, it won't be that cold. Well, then it gets cold and you regret it the whole time. Don't live the next 40 years and regret, you know, I was in seminary, I didn't really pay attention, I really wasn't interested, I didn't use my Greek, and now it's freezing in, in here. And I can't use my Greek. Don't, don't be in that position. Uh, make sure that you're, you're, you're ready, you're prepared. When you get out there, the temperature drops. you got your Greek. You can bust it out. It'll warm you right up. And, and your Hebrew, right? Of course. That goes without saying. Every time I say Greek, just put in and Hebrew. Um, I just, again, want to reiterate, don't, for the sake of time, don't neglect your paradigms and, and memorization. Just don't do it. I know you, I mean, we're all pressed for time these days. I mean, I know you're working two or three jobs, I'm working two or three jobs. I mean, we're all pressed for time. Don't let the tyranny of the urgent push out your Greek and Hebrew paradigms at this first year stage. Um, the, the other thing I would want to say, in addition to uh, walking, you know, 24 miles in snow, do you have snow without snowshoes? Something uh, like that. Any, anyway, uphill both, ways. I, uphill both ways. I think a story that I tell to communicate a similar thing is William Carey at the end of his ministry, you know, he was being asked about his success in missions and ministry and, uh, you know, what was it? From, from my not from my recollection you know what was it was your letters back home was it your you know winsome ways for sharing the gospel so on and so forth and uh, William Carey said well no uh, he said uh, I can plot you know and the interviewer was like what he's like I can plot I can put one step in front of the other one and I can do that very slowly but certainly over a long you know that's what I did over a long period of time I put one foot in front of the other I can plot and for I think most of us you know uh, probably not as intellectually gifted as a A.T. Robertson or uh, maybe John Brown or someone like that I think what we have to rely on is I can plot and I tell students every year 
It's a lifetime exercise. It's a lifetime journey. It's not a one-year sprint. It's a, it's a lifetime of putting one foot in front of you. You're going to fail. You're going to neglect it for a week or so. You're going to miss a paradigm. You're going to get, you know, you're going to get um, confused on some things, but that's okay. It's a lifetime. There are people here to help. You're in a community of believers. It's God's word. Keep plodding. All right, well, Dr. McKenzie, we'll start with you since you kind of opened that up. What does it look like to plod after that first year? What type of ways can they keep up with their biblical languages? Well, it's a great question. I'm, I've, I've kind of thought over that. Hebrew is uh, no problem for me uh, because I'm in it on a daily basis because of my job, which is really nice, one of the blessings of being an Old Testament Hebrew professor. Uh, the New Testament, actually, I actually began here teaching Greek. And I got to know it very well. Loved it. Was reading the New Testament on a, on a daily basis as well. I'll be honest. You know, I'm not teaching Greek anymore and haven't um, for, I don't know, eight years maybe, nine years. And it has begun to slip. Um, so I think for me, you know, I read the, I read the uh, Greek New Testament and I preach when I prepare sermons out of the New Testament like I am for this Sunday. I'm teaching out of James and I use the Greek New Testament. When I do Bible study, I use the Greek New Testament. Um, but, you know, maybe I could get my AD to let me teach Greek or something. I don't know. That would be Dr. Beckham. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd say the, the most important thing, the most common uh, thing that I say to students is to stay in it daily. That's the, that's the most important thing. You know, it, it's, it's better to read one verse a day than it is to read a chapter a week. Right. One verse a day. And so what I've been doing is I, I, I've, I've changed my, uh, my, my required textbook for, for Greek 1 and 2. I used to require, I don't know if I can do this, and, uh, but I've got a stack of Bibles here. And I'm not trying to show off how many Greek Bibles I have. Okay, I am, no. Um, but I just wanted to show you. See, I used to assign this one as my, the first textbook. Uh, this is just the, the United Bible Society. Uh, this is the uh, fourth edition. There is a fifth edition now. Uh, or the Nestle Allen or Nestle Allant uh, Bible that sometimes... You want to hold those for me? Thank you. Uh, appreciate that. What I started to do, though, is to assign a, a Greek reader... Uh, because what I'm, what I'm trying to communicate to students is when they open up these other versions, they see this uh, textual apparatus. They don't know what that is. It's scary. There's all kinds of things down in there. And so what I want them to do is to start reading right away. So there are two options. There's the Zondervan uh, Reader's Greek New Testament. And what it is on the bottom, instead of having a textual apparatus, it has uh, the vocabulary for... All the words that occur 30 times or less. There's also the one I prefer, and I would, I would suggest you getting, if you haven't, is the UBS Greek New Testament Reader's Edition. Um, <clears throat> again, it has all the vocabulary for the rare words, those words that occur 30 times or less. And so, so first of all, is read as much as you can, you know, read consistently. Just if it's one verse, read just one verse. Two verses, maybe every month, try to bump it up. But the other thing you can do is, is take your New Testament with you when you go to church. Now, you might feel awkward, or when you go to chapel, 
you don't want to be the person who's like up front, right? Well, there's the pastor right there. You got your Greek Bible. You're looking, you're comparing, you're shaking your head. You don't want to be that person. Now, what I have here is you look at that, you're like, what is that? That doesn't say anything. Well, that is a Greek New Testament. But nobody knows. Why? Because when, when the cover wore off, my wife covered it, and now I could take this anywhere, and nobody knows what it is. So I don't have to feel like, you know, I'm walking around with my Greek New Testament. I'm better than you. You got, what is that, the NIV, you know? Like, <laughs> embarrassing. I think this is really funny because I had this similar thing. I had similar thoughts. I didn't know that, you know, everybody would have these thoughts about the Hebrew Bible. It's like, I don't want to walk into church with my Hebrew Bible, yeah. so I covered it up. See? Mm-hmm. Great minds. Of course, in the current generation, since our Bibles are on our phones and our tablets, that's less of an issue it, than it, it, it used is, to be. Yeah. Um, I would just, you know, concur with what has been said. I mean, daily time spent in the Greek New Testament. I tell my first-year students from this point on, first of all, you ought to get in the will of God and take more Greek. But (laughs) if you do not, or if, in addition to disobedience, you happen to be in a degree program that doesn't give you any free elective hours and you cannot, well, we we do allow students to pay for tuition and take elective hours beyond your required ones. Are you aware of that, that you can take more classes than you have to? (laughs) Just want to make sure you know that. Um, but if you're not going to be able to do that, then at the very least, what you need to do is keep your Greek New Testament open and continue to learn vocabulary. Those are, the, I think, the, the two best things you can do. And I add to that, stop using commentaries that only deal with the English text. You now have enough. You can follow the, the discussion. So use some of those commentaries that... that Follow the the Greek text. And when it comes to being in the Greek text on a daily basis, it's not a shameful thing if you have your English Bible open. But just never have it open by itself. Have your Greek New Testament next to it so you can look at the English, which you can read fluently and quickly, and then look at the Greek, which will force you to slow down and really think about. I think the problem with most of our Bible reading habits is we've become so familiar with reading the Bible, we don't think about the Bible enough. And so, you know, having them open side by side is, is one of the greatest tools, I think, that, uh, that I have found. Uh, so we've talked a little bit about, like, uh, you, you mentioned vocabulary and reading the text every day. Uh, what are some practical, like, uh, things that you did to start off with after your first year of Greek or maybe when you're trying to get back into Greek or Hebrew that uh, you did to, to just really help that process along, like memorizing paradigms, did you go over rules? Uh, how many vocabulary did you use? Did you use computer programs? And how much did you try to read a day? You know, questions like that. Well, what's I, for me, that coincided with my entry into the PhD program and uh, the all the great Greek computer tools that are out there now had not yet been created. So uh, for me, it was a matter of my first semester, I signed up for the exegesis of the Gospel of John and the exegesis of Luke-Acts. At the end of the first week, I had dropped Luke-Acts, and I just focused on John. Uh, So I got into a portion of the Greek text, which is much easier. Um, Somewhere about halfway through the second semester, I have my students open somewhere in John and just sight read to encourage them how much Greek they know. And then I have them turn to anywhere in Luke Acts to show them how little Greek they know. Hmm. 
And so you find a part of the Greek New Testament like Mark or John or 1 John, and you actually begin working through the text. And so I think that is, is, a, is a great uh, opportunity to help bring your Greek back up to speed. And I would add, um, and I didn't have this when I was learning Greek. Um, it didn't exist in, until just recently. But this is both for Greek and now for Hebrew. This is an amazing tool to help you. It's called Daily Dose of Greek, or Daily Dose of Hebrew now. That's out. What this is, is uh, Robert Plummer from Southern Seminary has, uh, you can subscribe, you get, a, you get sent a link every day, a Daily Dose of Greek. I think it's dailydoseofgreek.com or something like that. Um, but what it is, he's, right now he's going through the Gospel of Mark, takes one verse a day, and he walks through, he reads the Greek, he translates it, and then explains the, the grammar and the syntax, anything that's significant. Two minutes. That's all it takes. Two minutes a day. And more recently, um, they just started uh, the daily dose of Hebrew with uh, Mark Futado, who was actually my Hebrew professor when I was in seminary. And I always tell people, when I was in seminary, he was the best professor I had, the best teacher I had. Phenomenal. So, uh, daily dose of Hebrew. Just watch it. It's two minutes. He's, he was going through Deuteronomy right now. He's explaining the, 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 the parsing. He's showing the syntax. He's translating it. What a, what a great help. The tools that we have, the, the apps that you can get on your phone. There's really uh, so much there to help us and to encourage us along the way that uh, wasn't available even even five years ago uh, is, is amazing. So just use those and use them consistently. If you don't use them consistently, you probably won't use them. That's why I said every day a little bit. And I think your point earlier is uh, it's still going to take work and time. Yes. You know, the, the apps are there. They're on your phone. You can have them, you know, while you're waiting, you know, on your spouse at the grocery store wherever you know but you still have to use them you know it's still not osmosis um, I, I think I would just add as well you know my own experience when I finished uh, the first year of Hebrew I decided I was going to um, make a commitment to read through Jonah which is the easier you know an easier narrative in Hebrew it's known as an easier narrative um, and so I started reading Jonah, and I decided, you know, I was kind of religiously having a quiet time, and, you know, uh, I was in full-time ministry at that point, so I had, you know, a portion of my uh, day to, uh, for devotions. But I decided I was going to forfeit extended Bible reading for the summer and just focus on a verse or two of Jonah. And so what I did, um, I didn't see any uh, virtue in flipping through a hard copy dictionary, lexicon so I had a brand new Bible program that I've spent spent some of my Christmas money for and uh, I kept it on my, it was on my computer across the room it was still right there in the room and I knew I could go over there and with just the tap of a cursor get all of the parsing and find out exactly what the dictionary that you know the dictionary form of the word was but it was kind of across the room so I was it forced me to work through Jonah and kind of struggle and fail, but the answer was right across the room. I think what happens is if we don't have that kind of help available, we don't have time to call up our Hebrew professor or send an email or ask a buddy or go look online necessarily all the time. So uh, we end up getting discouraged and basically end up quitting. So um, use your tools. But then what I, you know, what I tell students is, you know, 
the tools are a kind of a crutch. If you're still using your crutches five years later, there's something wrong. You've, you've become uh, stunted. Your growth has become stunted. So use your tools, but, you know, be careful not, you know, that you want to get off of the tools at some point. I mean, my goal still for, for my students is to be able to open up your Hebrew Bible. Now, this might not be after the first year, but after the second year, open up your Hebrew Bible and have a quiet time out of an Old Testament text. And I would want you to do that, you know, out of the Greek as well after a year or two of Greek, you know. I know that's idealistic, um, but why not, why not open up our Hebrew Bibles and Greek Bibles and have quiet times out of them? All right, so we mentioned uh, taking more courses than are required. Uh, what are some upcoming courses that might interest uh, students after their first year of Greek um, uh, for Greek or Hebrew uh, that might be coming down the pike? Well, for Greek, uh, we offer regularly uh, third semester Greek, which is extremely important. In second semester Greek, you get uh, your your grammatical foundation complete, and you begin to learn about the uh, the syntactical uses of the various components of grammar. But that's extremely important, and you, we don't get a chance to do a lot of that in second year Greek. So third semester Greek is where we take the next step, the foundation being built, going back to that analogy. Uh, then you put your base plate on before you can build the walls, and the syntax is that base plate. And the, uh, the syntax is where you learn all the various uses of the dative case, for example. But we also, in third semester Greek, as we complete that syntactical uh, layer, we're also introducing you into exegesis. We call that course uh, Greek syntax and exegesis. So depending on who's teaching it, it'll be handled somewhat differently. Uh, but there will, you will either be working through a particular book of the New Testament as you're learning the syntax, but working through a book uh, exegetically, or what I like to do when I teach it is to uh, expose students to uh, significant passages from every corpus in the New Testament so that by the end of third semester, you've not only done translation in John and Mark, uh, but you've also done translation in Luke Acts and in Revelation and in Paul and in James. Uh, and we might even get a little bit into the Church Fathers or back into the Septuagint so that you can see that uh, there's very different syntactical patterns in different portions of the New Testament. So that third semester is, is very important. But we also offer then uh, book studies, exegetical courses, where we'll go through books of either the New Testament or the Old Testament, but they won't be English-based. They will be based on the Greek text or the Hebrew text. And I would encourage you to take as many of those as, uh, as you can. Uh, specifically then, um, are you looking for specifics as far as what students can take? Yeah, if you know of so, any spring courses that might be interesting. So I know of a couple. Uh, because I'm teaching them. So uh, one of them is uh, Ephesians. So it's a Greek class, Ephesians, studying Ephesians. And that class uh, will be offered in the spring, but it's offered uh, during spring break, which is April 25 through 29. So we will spend the week together. And basically the way it'll work is before we the class starts, you'll have You'll have to have translated all of Ephesians and, and gone through and parsed all the verbs. After we meet, uh, then you'll have another month or so to complete the, the, the exegetical paper that you'll be responsible to do and finish your reading. So it's doable. 
Uh, I know because I've done these before. You can do it in one week. It is productive. It is helpful because not only are we, are we going to go through the Greek text, we'll also take time to talk about the theology behind the text as well. How is it helpful for ministry? What does Paul say when he, mean when he says this? Um, and then also next semester, I am teaching an online class, First Timothy, uh, as, a, as an online class, also a Greek class. So those are the two offerings. I think those are the two. I think those are the only semester. two for next semester. So I, I think far, as far as Hebrew, just practically, you know, and I, you can say the same thing for Greek, a, anything H-E-B, right, uh, prefix or G-R-K, you'll find the Hebrew and Greek courses that are being offered. So same, you know, Hebrew 3 and 4, Hebrew book studies are being offered, um, and as well as poetry and other different things like that. We've even got uh, medieval Hebrew-type courses uh, and um, things related to that. I, I think I would just say, you know, we've got people like Mark Rooker on faculty who have written commentaries and written books on the language of Hebrew and you know Chip McDaniel literally has uh, uh, written for Lagos in the Septuagint and Hebrew portions of Lagos in their in their Hebrew uh, capsule of Lagos. Not to mention uh, the other faculty like Dr. Borger and Dr. Hardy and you know numerous others um, that have are really you know again to have all of these courses and uh, people available here at at Southeastern. I mean, what an incredible, incredible time God has given us. Let me just speak a little bit to the spring schedule since I oversee that. As you start trying to bring up these courses and see what's offered, first thing that I would be asking is why there's so much of these HEB courses and so few of the GRK? Because, because, <laughs> because, it's because we have an MA in Old Testament for which there are a lot of these HEB courses that are required. And so that's why you see so many of those, more of those offerings. Uh, but I don't want that to scare you away. Even though you'll have people who are specializing in Old Testament in those courses, uh, they've been designed so that, that they also are great Hebrew electives for students who are not in the MAOT. So if you happen to see a, a, a Hebrew course and you think, oh, well, I, I know that's in the MAOT, so that's not for me. Sure it is. It's just not a part of your degree program. It's an elective for you. Uh, but we still would encourage you to, uh, to take those courses as well as the Greek courses. All right. One last question. Which language is better to study? <laughs> Well, there is the law and there's grace. Uh, I, uh, I've heard... Let me just interrupt right there. <laughs> Are you Lutheran or... Let's close in prayer. <laughs> in all seriousness, um, one of the things that I think I personally, as a New Testament professor, have had to do, and I think this is, this is epidemic in our churches, I've had to repent of both my ignorance and my neglect of the Old Testament. I believe that in the church today, while no one would get up in the pulpit and say this, I think by the way we treat the Bible, we portray the Old Testament as good and important back then, but somehow optional for us today. Uh, it's the New Testament that really matters to us. The New Testament church was the New Testament church before there was a New Testament. But they had the scriptures, and the scriptures were the Old Testament. And Jesus had this to say about the Old Testament. It's about me. If you believed Moses, you would believe me because Moses wrote about me. 
on the road to Emmaus, he explained the Messiah and the necessity of the crucifixion and its salvific work. And where did he explain it from? From Moses and the prophets and the writings. And we in the church today just ignore and neglect the Old Testament way too much. And I personally have repented of that. And in my personal discipline, I've tried to, uh, to bring myself up to speed. I wish I had the knowledge of the Old Testament that the New Testament authors have. But because I don't, I miss, uh, I think, much of what they're trying to convey to me. And so I have to depend on others who have that to bring me up to speed. So can I, can I urge you not to neglect the Old Testament and Hebrew thinking that somehow it's the New Testament that really matters? There, did you like that? I, I can't say it any better. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Repent so that times of refreshing might come from the Lord. <laughs> All right, well... First, gentlemen, uh, I'd like to express my thanks for uh, you guys spending this time with us. If we want to give them a round of applause. Appreciate it. Uh, two things I'd like to say just to give some plugs. Number one is here at the library, uh, we do offer you help with languages, uh, Hebrew and Greek. We have great library assistants like Nate Martin over here who know Greek well and can get you uh, in touch with the resources that we have that you can use later on uh, after you've had your first year of Greek. And then uh, myself with Hebrew, I can offer you that help uh, while you're here. So while you're here, get to know our language specialists that we have here. We look for those when we hire. And so uh, get to know, uh, you know, use us to be able to know those resources in the library that you can, you know, take with you. Hey, I used to have a uh, database. I can't remember what it was called, but it had, it was a database that could get to all of the Greek uh, vocabulary and uses in all Greek literature from, you know, the period... What was it called? It was a uh, database. It was on the computer. Do you still have that? Has that yes. been updated? What's it uh, called? TLG. TLG. It's in the, it's in the catalog. Yeah. Uh, What's Thesaurus Lingua okay. Greca, I think. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. That was an excellent tool. I've been going to come back and use that several times. Yeah. I want to know if it was updated. Yeah. Well, you can come by and we'll show you how to use Great. it. Nate Great. and I know how to use it. So Great. I think you do. I might have spoken too soon for you. But um, but we can show you how to use that. So. Um, but yeah, we have we have databases and things uh, that can help you with your research and with getting to know the languages. The second thing I want to plug is our upcoming library talks uh, that are coming up, uh, not only this semester, but next semester. We have uh, one more this semester on November 2nd with Russ Moore. He's going to be talking about uh, his book, Onward. Uh, and then in February, we're going to have Dr. Paul House, uh, who's an Old Testament uh, theologian. He's going to come in. Uh, I haven't quite decided what we're going to talk about yet. Maybe some Old Testament theology or his new book, uh, Bonhoeffer's uh, View of uh, Seminary. Uh, that's not the title, but it's something along those lines. And then in March, we have uh, Women in Scholarship, where we'll have a panel discussion with uh, Dr. O'Quinn, Mrs. O'Quinn, um, Amanda O'Quinn, and then we'll have Dr. Miles and Dr. Keith Harper all here uh, to discuss that. So uh, that's what's coming down the pike for this next year. Thank you for coming. We do this for you. Um, so uh, uh, thank you for showing up. So did you want to share something, Dr. Borger, or were you just... Okay, please do. We're here talking about biblical languages. I want to let uh, you know uh, that we do have some representatives from Wycliffe Bible Translators here. And there's going to be a, a coffee time this afternoon at 3 o'clock over at Stephen's Tanky. If you'd like to talk to them, you can find out more information about what's going on for the Bible Translation. Right. Thank you, Dr. Borger.